Today, uh, in prayer time this morning, it was confirmed because, you know, there are some things going on in my heart that that were confirmed this morning. Uh, There's sometimes that you're in personal conflict. Uh, You're you're thinking, um, I, I know what I want to do, but what I want to do is different from what God wants to do. And so I, I began just struggling in this morning in prayer time, and I sat down in the chair, uh, and th- I'm not sure who the woman of God was, but she spoke out loud, and she said, don't share the second thing, share the first thing. Hmm. Well, the first thing on my heart when pastor came and asked me to share, the first thing on my heart was to share about the power of a personal testimony. I have been sharing this across the country, and I'm telling you, this past week I was at, a, at Northern Pines Camp in Wisconsin, and we saw a move of God. We saw people set free, not just by my testimony, but by their own. And if there's one thing the devil wants to do in your life, the devil wants to silence you. He wants you to make you feel insignificant. He's going to make you feel as though you don't matter. He wants to make you feel like that your word, the word that God's placed inside of you, doesn't work. In other words, you're supposed to listen to me, and as a result of listening to me, that I'm supposed to tell you things that you're supposed to do, but I'm here to tell you today I'm going to reverse it. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul, as he was in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 6, it says this. He who had begun a good work in you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. Revelation 12, 11 says, and they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. I'm here today to unleash something inside of you to share with you how powerful you are. In the last three years, things have been out of whack, out of alignment, and people have been silenced. But today, I'm gonna, everybody say, I will not be silent. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're 125 or six months old, right? You got something to say that changes people's lives. How many of you know that where you came from is not the where you were today? And as your eyes are open and your ears are open, you're functioning, you have eyes and ears to hear that God says in Acts 13, 36, and David served the purposes of God in his generation, and then he went to sleep. In God's kingdom, there is no retirement. As a matter of fact, it's not getting retired, it's getting refired. And Paul... This is not on the screens, but in Philippians, if you want to turn your Bible, look at your phone, your iPad. Philippians chapter 1 verse 1 says, this is a letter from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of those holy people in Philippi who belong to Jesus Christ, including the church leaders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I think I give thanks to my God. And whenever I pray, I make requests to all of you with joy. For you have been my partners spreading the good news about Christ from the time I first met you until now. I am certain, I say certain, certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. So that it is that I should feel, it is, it is right that I should feel this about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. Everybody say good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with tender compassion of Jesus Christ. In context, it's Paul having a a spiritual conundrum. This book is a book of faith. It's to the Philippian people who were retired soldiers, who were trying to decide how and who to deal with the national socialism, patriotism that happened during that time. 
they struggled because they were trying to, to, to really gain traction around who was going to be the allegiant. We know that Lydia was one of the first converts in that region. They understood solid leadership with Rome lurking in the back and Caesar. They understood the true sacrifice of positioning for battle. They understood Paul's as a person who, when he spoke, he was a man that did what he said. Hmm. Now, where I came from, when something hits you, you go, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good place to go. Very good. You guys are good. They were drawn to the Lord's anointing on Paul, and they followed him from place to place. This was the only church that sent different people to check and to give because when he was thrown into prison, it wasn't like the government fed him. Your family had to feed you. And so the Philippian people made sure that Paul was fed, prayed over, and they would get reports. Paul, in the latter part of this book, thanks, thanks them for their continued support. But this was also a book of faith because he had an issue, and the issue was he was a Roman that was put in prison for sharing the good news. But the problem came, Epaphroditus was sent to him, got sick, and the family heard about him being sick. Kind of go with me a little bit. Word got to his mother. Say this was me or you. His mother heard at about 6 a.m. Her baby was sick. She was in her hair rollers, her nightclub, and her slippers halfway on. She was out the door because her baby was sick. My God. And if that was you, you know mama would be already halfway to Philippi. Not from Philippi, but she'd be, she be headed into Rome. She'd be, she be headed into the jail. I don't know about you, but I'm coming to get my, I don't know about Paul, but I'm coming to get my baby. That's a fact. So because mama was upset, everybody there was upset. Why? Because she was upset because her baby was sick and she may have been kind of halfway not believing anyway. Uh, I told you not to go there. I told you not to send my boy. You sent him up there and now he's sick. Now what y'all going to do? You better tell that man up there. He better send me a letter. I want to know how my baby doing. Uh. Mm-hmm. And just before she got out the door, a letter came. Mm-hmm. She was sitting there going, mm-hmm. Everybody go, mm-hmm. And, and she was listening to the letter. And she was going, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I still ain't heard how my baby doing. Mm-hmm. And then in chapter two, they get down. She goes, yeah, all right, okay. Baby doing okay? Now I listen to everything else, okay? That God you're talking about. So he, he is in a search for tomorrow, the edge of night. What's, 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 what's the other days of our lives? What's the other one? General, oh, Lord, have mercy. Mm. Guiding light. Come on, give me some of that. He was looking for something because he's sending this by faith. He himself personally is on the hook. He was in jail. They loved him. And so the people at home were homesick. They were, they were Epaphroditus sick. He became homesick, so he said, you got to go. Because I don't want to face your mama and everybody else. That's a fact. And, 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 and so he sends this by faith because he himself may not make it. 
And so he so eloquently returns Epaphroditus back home and he says, this guy is a guy that you need to receive with honor because he gave his life sending an offering. I wish that when our men and women came back from Vietnam, they had read what it meant to return people back home properly. That's a good place to say amen. And so we now know as a result of the backdrop that it was Paul's personal connection with the kingdom of God that got him in trouble. In Acts chapter 9, there's a conversion that happened. Went to a street called Straight. It's a man named Ananias who the Lord spoke to in a dream and said, pray for him and scales fell from his eyes. When you come into contact with Jesus Christ, something falls off of you. And when it falls off of you, you once were lost, but now you were found. You were blind, but now you. And the one thing that God wants you to do is he wants you to do what? See. He wants you to do what? He doesn't want you to see like normal people see. He wants you to see in the spirit. He wants you to see with revelation. He wants you to see from a kingdom perspective. He wants you to see not just the world sees. In the last few years, we've been seeing things through the eyes of unbiblical perspectives, not this church. Not this church. I'm so grateful that Pastor Wilson has continued to press the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for him that he has stood here week in and week out and declared the kingdom of heaven. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you, thank you. But now I turn to you. Mm. You know how you are. I'm going to share something with you that is so profound. It is so simple that most of us miss it. You miss you. You you, you miss the power of your personal witness. Number one, if you're taking notes, your personal witness is the firsthand information of God's power and work in your life. You can't sell something that you haven't been around. You can't sell something that you haven't put on. I mean, for some of us, Pinterest is our best friend. But once you see, once you see it, though, once you get your eyes on it, come on now, when you start scrolling and you see that design and you see, and then you order it, and when it comes through the door and you experience it, you're retweeting, repinteresting. That doesn't happen, but it sounded good. But what if we took your personal witness and we put it on Pinterest and you talked about what Jesus did in your life? Listen to me. It doesn't have to be some dramatic thing in order for it to be powerful. It does not. For about 90% of you, there's the road to Emmaus. There's two roads. There's that road to Emmaus that that you came in to an encounter with Jesus Christ. You've been to church all of your life and nothing dramatic happened for you. And you may feel like you're discarded and you don't have a personal witness, but you came connected with Jesus Christ. And it changed your life. You are valuable. And then there's that road to Damascus. Some of you have had that road to Damascus. He snatched you out of an unhealthy spot. He brought you and set you back on the rock. But both are equally valuable. I want to speak to my road to Emmaus people. I want to awaken you today. It's easy for you to sit back and listen about the people on the road to Damascus and say, praise God or ooh and ah. But you people that are on the road to Emmaus made me the most valuable. The more dramatic things happen to you, the more counseling you need. 
I just, I'm, just, I'm just being real. And so for my road to a mayor's people, we need you today because you are stable. You are strong. You are powerful. And you can look right down the nose of the barrel and you can say, God did it for me. And he'll do it for you. But equally or more, impo- or more important, you see, oftentimes what happens is that we begin to put someone else's testimony above ours. But your firsthand information on what Jesus has done for you is extremely powerful and important to a world today. It doesn't matter about race, political position, because in the kingdom of heaven, I don't think there's going to be sides. I don't think there's going to be race. There's a study that was done on genealogy by these high pollutant universities. And they said, we're going to prove race. We're going to tell you that there are different colors and races and places. And the deeper they got into this, the deeper conundrum they came to. Guess what happened? They came back to two parents. When they did the study regionally across the continents of the world, it began to start shaping and twisting. And when it did, it came back to the same gene pool. Guess who it was? Adam and he, y'all are so. And so we look at our brothers and sisters that are truly our brothers and sisters, long hair, short hair, tall, short, Big feet, small feet. A lot of hair, no hair. But our firsthand information about what Jesus has done in our life crosses all barriers. And your testimony to someone else is the game changer. I want to encourage you today that the, your testimony is powerful and that God has you here for a divine purpose. He has you for here for transformational purposes. He has you because he wants you to know that your witness is powerful. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23b through 30 says this. His firsthand information, Paul said, for I have worked harder and have been put in prison more often. I have been whipped, time, whipped times without number and have faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with a rod. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night, day and night adrift on the sea. I have traveled many long journeys. I have faced dangers and rivers and robbers. I have faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities and in deserts and in seas. I have faced danger from uh, men who claim to be believers but were not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I have been hungry. I've been thirsty. I have oftentimes gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing. I have not kept warm. It's a first-hand witness. Paul goes on and says, verse 28, then besides all of this, everybody say all of this, I have, day, I have a daily burden for all the churches who is weak without my feeling, who without my feeling there's weakness, who is led astray and I do not burn with anger. If I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. Mm. That's a great place to go. Mm. Yeah. How many people boast about their weakness? But it's a setup because he was telling the Corinthians, when I am weak, he is. And when you talk about the strength of God in your weak situation, it's a firsthand account. Number two, your personal witness is tangible. Your personal witness is something that has happened to you. You can get your arms around that. That's something that is real and is true to you. No matter how the issues of life have been, you are extremely important to the kingdom. You are more important now than you've ever been. 
regardless of age, regardless of age, you are more important now than you've ever been. Come on. Why is that? The kingdom needs you. I want to apologize to those that are older in this room. The world needs you. The the world, they need three things from you. Number one, they need your stories. You, you, You have had tangible stories over and over again how God has met you. You, 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 you have been there, you have seen that, you have been around situations, and like my grandma, she said, they go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, amen. But, but, but she's looking for something that's tangible, what you're saying. She, she's looking for commitment. She, she's looking for Jesus. And all the other stuff and ideas, she go, well... But, but, but when she or he opens her mouth, there's something of substance because she or he, or grandpa, grandma, they begin to talk about the overcoming power of God, the unsurmountable odds. They begin to think about what Jesus has done in my life. And it's been amazing. It's your stories, grandma, grandpa. They, we need your stories. Number two, this is free. We need your smile. My God, we need some smiles from some grandmas and grandpas because it shows me that everything's going to be all right. It could be hailing outside. Everything's falling apart. It don't matter. But when I get in your presence and I just see you smile, everything's going to be, that's tangible. Number three, if you're taking notes, we just need to touch. We just need your touch. That touch is a dynamic transfer of the apostolic power of God. When you lay hands, somebody else can touch me. I'm telling you today, a lady came up to me today. She laid her hands on me and she prayed for me. And she didn't know this, but she settled my spirit. Because I was wanting to go in another direction. And she said, oh, baby, uh, it's going to be all right. She she did all three. But what she did not know is the reason why I needed that is because the average age group that I hang out with is 80. Mm -hmm. And I'm not kidding you. Well, I don't want to be in no disrespect around nobody with skinny jeans and a good haircut telling me about how good Jesus is. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you that. I need somebody with a limp. I need somebody that's gone through something. I need somebody that can see and look at me and say, it's going to be all right. I love skinny jeans and all that. But I need somebody that's gone through something to tell me that I'm going to be okay. I need a tangible evidence. I need a tangible evidence. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, it says, I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else. And it is all garbage so that I could gain Christ. Wow. Wow, I need a tangible, he said everything tangibly that I have. He said, man, Rome, I'm good. He goes through his testimony about if he were a person that could boast about himself, he was the perfect person. And he said, I'm going to tell you what Jesus did for me. I took it all and it's worthless. When something like that happens, people start looking. Oh, wow. 
When, 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 when pastor said, hey, I'm going to start, God spoke to me and told me to start Summit Church. Anybody with me? And here's a tangible evidence right here. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise right now in the house of God. You are so important and the tangible evidence of change in your life is critical. You have to be willing to share no, no matter how insignificant it seems, you never know what's going on in somebody else's life because you can wear your church face, but God is looking for a real face. He's looking for something that's real, tangible in a very virtual world. We've got all of these virtual things. They're not real. Listen to me, young people. We need a move of God in your life, in my life, that the power of the Holy Ghost manifest inside of you. We need you laying hands on the sick and a tangible evidence that they recover. We need a church like Summit Church in every community that says, we believe that, that, that God is real, his word is infallible, and if you believe in his word, his word will come to life and it will transform you. Facebook and Twitter and Twitter and Twitter doesn't really matter when it comes to what's real. This year, I believe in this youth group, you're going to see, listen at this, more tangible evidence of God at work in this youth group. Because when Jesus gets involved in your life, it's more than just waving your hands in the front row. It's grabbing some carpet, asking God to save a generation that's going to hell. that God fearfully and wonderfully made you and that you are a male and a female, that he's made you just like you are with polka dots and long hair and curly hair, black, white, orange, short, tall. It doesn't matter. He made you and you could literally say Psalms 139 and drop the mic. We don't have to go any further. We don't have, there is no debate. There is no debate. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and? And I want to challenge you young people today that if you ask the Lord to show you who he is, there will be a tangible transformation in your life. Jesus will come and visit you, not virtually, but personally. I'm not against them. I'm not against them. I'm for them. Amen. I'm saying step out. Ask him. Those of us in this church today, how many times have you asked Jesus for a personal, tangible visitation from him? We pray to him as though he's far off, but he is close as the mention of his name. One of his names is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Your personal testimony, number three, is a game changer. In Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 26, Acts chapter 8, even before that, you, 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 you hear these testimonies. Your testimony is a game changer. In Acts 26, Paul stood before King Agrippa, and he shared with him the power of God. and his He shared with him the kingdom of God, how God changed his life, and it locked up the court. He said, well, hold on. Uh, you aren't trying to convert me, are you? Paul just said, well, yeah, you know, sure. That's why I'm here. And he went into his chambers in Acts 26, came out, 
I have no fault with this man. You see, when you begin to share about your life, it may cause a conundrum with others, but when you stick to the stuff, stay focused on what Jesus did for you and don't get sidetracked with fear. It will lock up every situation that you're in. Your testimony is a, everybody say game changer. Your testimony does four things. Number one, it reveals who you are. Your testimony re- reveals who you are. I have a question for you. Who are you? Are you that soldier that you're supposed to be? Are you bombarding heaven when, it, when only it needs to be? Or just, is it a have to or a get to? Mm. I'll leave that one alone. Number two, it reveals what you believe. And right now, we need Jesus Christ crucified. And not all these other, everybody, all these others, all these other things. All these other things. Number three, it reveals when you met Jesus. This is the point right here that really starts some trouble. Because you have to share about when you met Jesus, what happened in your life, and tell me about the transformation that happened around that situation. I have heard more people relay, I don't remember. You don't remember? Or I've always been a Christian. People, I'm not saying that that can't be true. But, but you have to share about when you met him, the circumstances around that, and the change that happened since you met him. And then here, here's another thing. I want an up-to-date account. Not two years ago or 20 years ago, but to everybody say today. Today. It reveals... Lastly, where you met Jesus. Where were you? What were you doing? What was going on in your life? My mother was an amazing person. At 19 years old, she met Jesus Christ as her personal savior. She had her first child when she was 12. Both her parents had passed away. And by the time she was 18, she had had all of her children. My grandfather was a deacon. And when my mother got saved, there's some people that get saved and you go, oh, praise God. When she got saved, she got all the way saved. You, you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, she got all the way saved. We went from drinking pink champagne, no disrespect to anybody, to moving to a place of total holiness, of abstinence. That's where God brought her. She went from a lifestyle because of how she grew up. We have five different fathers to holding herself pure. She went from being on the corner to preaching to the people on the corner. So me being the youngest of five, I'm watching this transformation happen in her life. And it, it's amazing because uh, I didn't know because I thought pink champagne drinking the bottom of the bottle was the way to go at five. My mother caught me smoking and beat the heaven into me. If I was with a football team, I'd say something different. But since we're church, and those of us online, I will refrain. 
fast forward at eight years of age, I went to a youth group, kind of like FCA. My brother was older. And the guy asked a question. He says, have you, has anybody, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And I said, I haven't. I'm like, nobody's ever asked me that. I mean, it was quick. Boom. And I accepted Christ. No fanfare. At nine years of age, I had a dream. And it was the most high-definition dream you could ever have. It was almost like I was here with you. And this light shone from heaven. And it followed me everywhere I went. I tried to hide. I was in a, a, a deep, dark forest thick with bristles and trees. And this high, potent, life-altering light came. It was a calling on my life. At 12, I preached my first sermon holding onto my mom's leg at a Pentecostal campground in Ashland, Virginia. It was at that time going through the healing line, they asked, how many of you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? I said, I need some. And so he laid hands on me and I began to speak in the Holy Ghost. I went to college, had a very high, a great high school career on TV, newspapers. No Christ when I was in high school, my mom moved us from an all black community to this all white community. And I said, mom, why would you move us here? I like it. We moved from my cousins and my brother, Nim. You ever know who Nim is? And one day I came home and I was struggling. I said, Lord, you got, mom, why did you move us here? Every time I go down the street, you, 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 people calling me names that I'm not used to hearing. At least not like that. And she said something so profound to me. She said, they just don't know you yet. Oh my gosh, she dropped a bomb on me. She said, once they get to know you, they will think differently about you. So on that same road, I start running. I was the first African-American in my community to be on the all-star team. And before we knew it, hey, bump, bump, what up, Ron? Good game Friday night. Bump, bump, what up, dude? I could have been like my dad who hated white people because he was beaten at 12. Or I could choose love like my mother had. My parents divorced when I was five. I chose love. I crashed and burned at junior college my first year. And I asked God to give me a second chance. He led me to Evangel University in Springfield, Missouri. I met the woman of my dreams. And one day at chapel, I remember uh, a message being given, and this was a real pivoting point in my life. This was a game changer. When he asked for lordship, it wasn't just a relationship, it was lordship. I laid on the carpet for an hour and I bawled. And I made Jesus the Lord of my future. I made him my champion. I was almost like my life has sped up and I'm here now. At the most pivotal point in my life being here. This is the most important day of my life. I've never been in a church like this, never. And I'm so nervous, I'm about to lose my hair. And then the woman of God came and laid her hands on me. The prophecy that was given in the prayer room. 
This church is a God-fearing, spirit-led church. But the game-changing moment is getting ready to happen for you. Because my life has not been the same. It's, I'm an evangelist. I travel. The Lord put on my heart 4,000 souls. Like, you need to see 4,000 people come to know Christ through your ministry. And I'm thinking, how's that going to happen? I, I don't even have a place to go. I'm on lockdown. And through our ministry, we work with Crisis Response through WE. We have a ministry to kids at Christmas time. We have impacted about 4,000 kids. That's God. I'm believing for great things to happen as I was on my way to Northern Pines and I'm thinking, God, I just, I just want to have, could you fly me on a private jet? Ron, would you like to fly on our private jet to Northern Pines? Let me think about, yep. Yeah. And in the last four weeks, I've seen things happen that only, and then I get a call from pastor. I have been wanting to preach at this church for a long, long time. But everybody say, but God. There's some, some but God's getting ready to unfold in your lives. There, there, there's getting ready to have some, some moments in which your life, the dreams and hopes that you have personally, the things that God has done in your life, the game-changing moments because you stepped into your calling of just being you. There's only like 4% of the people that do this and like the rest do life. So if we're going to see game-changing transformation, it's going to be because you take your light into the community. You're going to take your testimony. You're going to take the game-changing moment that you personally profess Jesus Christ as Lord. But Ron, I don't know how to do that. But you can do you. Don't do me. Do you. Share your story. Emmaus, Damascus. They're both powerful. So here's the ask. The ask is this. For some of you, this may be extremely, this is a step of faith on your part. You're saying, oh boy, here we go. I knew he was going to drive us somewhere. Where is he driving the car? I want to ask you, if you'd be willing to share your personal testimony in the next 30 days to at least five people. Now, you can do it. I'm going to make it easy on you. You can write it out. You can write your personal testimony. And on that testimony, take notes. When you were saved, what happened around your salvation, and then what's happened since that time up until today. One page, real lean. Now, if you write it down, I want you to send it to 10 people. You can post it on Facebook. You can send it out on Twitter. But, but I am looking for people. And by the way, if you put it on social media, put hashtag Summit Church. Yeah. Because this is where things are happening. For some of you, your testimony just started this morning. You see, God knows exactly what he's doing. And so as I kind of unloosen your screws on your seat today, I'm going to ask you to stand. Simon says, stand. I'm going to ask you to do that, that hokey pokey again. I'm going to ask you to put your whole self in. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, through four, I do beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holding unto, holding unto him, which is your reasonable act of service. Do no longer become, be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, and then you will know the good, pleasing, and acceptable will of God. I'm going to ask you, with everything that I have, that if you would step out by faith, we would crush this area for Christ. I mean, we would crush it. I want this place to be so jam-packed that, that, that we got this building program. And all you have to do is open your mouth, write it out on a sheet of paper. When you got saved, what happened around it and what God has done up to now, one page. So you can share it or you can send it. I, I just need to ask you this question. Would you be willing to take the step of faith? Would you do that? Just raise your hand. Would you do that? Would you come up forward now? Just join me up here. We're going to pray for you. Come on down. Come on down. Come on down. All of you, come on out. Come on down. We're going to pray over you because we're going to believe. Come on down. This, all, come on down. Children, everybody up front, pastor. Would you join me? I mean, we getting ready to log jam this whole deal. I'm telling you right now, God set this whole thing up. He set it up. Across America, I'm seeing this right now. I'm seeing people sign up. You're not a preacher, just be you. And if you allow the champion of the universe, pack the aisles. It's a good picture if you're taking pictures. It's a good picture. Come on down, come on around. And it, by no means or way, if you're sitting in your chair, some of you may not be able to come. You may be physically disabled. You may be anxious or whatever. Stay where you are. But if you commit to being, just commit to where you are. Log, jam the aisles. I'm telling you right now, listen to me. Look to your right and to your left. This is revival. This is revival. Come on now. Pastor, will you join me? We're going to pray over you. Come on now. Amen. And to him who is able to keep us from falling. Pastor, would you pray just over them as the Lord leads? Put your hand on somebody's shoulder. Will you do that? Just... Father, we thank you for what you've done in our lives. The incredible transformation and the miracle that took place. Some of us should be dead by now. Marriages should be a wreck. Some of us should be in prison. Some of us should be on couches of psychiatrists every hour. But Lord, you transformed us. You saved us. You redeemed us set us free. Let us not forget what you've done in our life. For the sages in the house, the, the elder, elderly, Lord God, I pray that you revive within them again their voice and they'll begin to speak again that thing that you did in their life and what you've continually done in their life. For the young people in the house, that you will, Lord, grant them the boldness and the courage and the love for their peers and their love for their peers and their love for, for their peers eternity will overwhelm their fear of rejection from that peer that could possibly take place by just asking a simple question do you know my father Lord I pray of all of us that you will grant us not just opportunities not just windows but 
Lord, the, the knowing to step into that window, into that door. And Lord, we will step in with boldness and we will share. Can I tell you what Jesus did for me? And Lord, we will be able to have that incredible opportunity to pray with them. Thank you, Lord. There, there are going to be people in this house this time next year that are people that we've worked with. They'll be neighbors. There'll be people in our family. They'll be standing here with us next year at this time, and we're going to look to our right and our left, and we're going to be amazed that you allowed this incredible privilege just to be in small peace of building that bridge between them and you. Father, 70% of the people in this community slept in or at work or on a boat right now. They have no, absolute no clue that they have a purpose and that you have a plan for their life. You told us, Jesus, the fields are white and to harvest. Just look. Don't wait for another moment, another time, another season. But now, to speak, to reach, to touch, to ask. And Lord, we thank you that we don't have to listen to the lie of the enemy that says you're not qualified, you're not good enough, you don't know enough of the Bible, you're, you'll never be that person. You, you you need to let the preacher do that, the professional, whatever. And Father, we thank you. We don't believe that lie. That's a lie. We don't have to know anything other than some what you've done for us. And that's enough. Thank you for Pastor Ron, Lord God, and word that he brought to us. Bless him, his family, his ministry. Pray for tonight as he ministers to the football team at West Florida that there will be a revival breakout among that team. Do it, Lord God. Coach Shinnick will be absolutely amazed at the spirit of the Lord that has come across his team tonight. We thank you. We thank you for our community for placing us here. We're not here by accident. We're here on mission. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.